0: Well, thank you to all our worship teams doing a great job leading us in worship today. Well, I normally would stop right now and say, Take your Bibles and turn to. But today, I'm doing a little bit of a topical message, and we're going to look at multiple scriptures today, and they'll all be on, on the screen. And so I'm going to ask you to follow along with me up here. And if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. I started, and by the way, if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online on our campuses. Man, it's been great today already. Thank you for being there as well. Um, I started a sermon series last week called The Q Zone. We'll we'll take it through Easter, answering life's most important questions. And we started last week, does God exist? And really the question is, do I want God to exist? And so if you missed that sermon, go back and uh, watch that sermon. And today I want to delve into maybe is what um, we talk about most, and that is the suffering problem. And I want to deal today with this question, does Jesus care? We, we have a hard time fitting suffering into our theology at times, and so today what I want to do is ask and answer a series of questions that will help us deal with this idea of suffering in our own life. so let me, let me get there in a moment. I saw this this came across my, my desk the other day uh, about how much you get hurt in a year now this was a, this' was a survey done in in Britain, but I think we roughly translate There's some things I question in it, but, but let me show you. How much you get hurt in a year? You ever thought about it? Now, I, I would say this. Listen, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm fairly athletic. Like I can play baseball, football, basketball. I'm fairly athletic, but I would not say I'm graceful. As a matter of fact, nobody knows me would say I'm graceful. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, I have no dancing ability whatsoever, none. I have no rhythm at all. Um, also if there's something in the floor at night, my feet will find it. My little toe will find it. We were on a cruise ship, you know, a couple of weeks ago and somehow I left the door open in the shower, uh, about our second day there. And I, and I do this all the time at home. Sherry's got lamps I've broken all over the house that I've ran into somewhere along the way and on the cruise ship somehow. I hit my head on the glass door and spent the entire ship uh, cruise on the ship uh, with a knot on my head right here the whole, whole time, just tender and sore. I, I'm, 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 let me say, I'm athletic, but I'm not graceful. So I'm prone to get hurt a lot. And if you ever wonder how much you get hurt, they did this survey in, in Britain and they said in a single year, the average British citizen cuts themselves twice while shaving, gets one electric shock, three paper cuts they'll lose their voice at least once and accidentally bite their tongues three times which is possibly the most aggravating trauma non-surgery thing that'll happen to you biting your tongue is right there with a heart attack in my opinion Throw in your garden, variety, headaches, cramps, blisters, trips, and falls, and other injuries, and you get, listen to this, 124 incidents a year. So they put it all on a graph. You cannot see this. I just threw it up here for my benefit. They they found that in a year's time, two shaving cuts, you'll get four four stiff necks, you'll get four cases of heartburn, six cases of a, a nauseous stomach in a year, you'll get stitches on average twice a year. What What are you people doing to yourselves over there? Uh, across the pond and and just all sorts of things that even come out. So when they add it all up, you can't really see this number on there, but it's 9,672 ailments over the course of a 78-year lifespan. 10,000 times you'll get sick or be hurt. Even things like this. This has nothing to do with sermon I just want to show it to you. It also revealed that a quarter of Britons have gone to sit down and missed their chairs. <laughs> Half of them have knocked their heads while getting out of a car, and the last one, I just can't even fathom, one in 20 have admitted to slipping on a banana peel at least once in their lifetime. I thought that was just for cartoons only. I don't even think a banana peel is that slippery in life. But it's 10,000 injuries a year, a lifetime that you'll experience. 10,000 hurts in a lifetime. We call that suffering. The truth is, it's not just paper cuts that are getting us, it's real physical problems. That doesn't mention the emotional issues that we'll have to deal with. That doesn't mention the mental stress that we'll have to deal with. That doesn't mention the relational anxiety that we'll have to deal with. Just those minor problems, it's 10,000 things in a lifetime. But on top of all of that, there's emotional trauma, there's mental trauma, there's relational trauma, all of that adds up to suffering that is going to come our way that suffering dear friend is coming to me that suffering is coming to you that suffering is coming to all of us and i hate to be the bearer of bad news but that suffering is here to stay so how does all of that fit into our biblical paradigm our biblical theology about a god who loves us when pew research who does so much research asked that question to explain suffering to adults in the United States, they said 86% believe that sometimes bad things just happens to us. It's nobody's fault. But... Uh, Another 71% believe it's the consequences of our own actions. Uh, Another 69% believe suffering is mostly a result of the way society is structured. Another 62% believe it's an opportunity. Suffering is just an opportunity for you to get stronger. You know, we sing about it. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? And then you ask them, um, where does suffering come from? 80% believe that most of the suffering in the world comes from the actions of people, not God. 80% of the people believe that. 50% believe God chooses not to stop the suffering because it's part of a larger plan. 44% believe Satan is responsible for most of the suffering in the world. We're trying our best to fit our suffering into some kind of theology that we can reconcile, some kind of theology that we can make sense not just of what the world is going through, but we can make sense of what we are going through. So the best way I know to do that today is ask some questions that are probably on your heart and answer them from the Bible. I'm going to give you four questions today, and again, if you're taking notes, I'll, I'll give you some Bible with all of these for sure, but these are questions that I think need to be answered when it comes to the idea, not just of global suffering, but of personal suffering. Number one, let's answer this question, where did it all begin? And I'm going go to go ahead and give you the answer, we did it to ourselves. I'm just going to throw that up there so you're not wondering about the answer to the question. Where did suffering begin? originate? Why do we suffer? Why does the world have to have suffering? Why, why, why can't it just all be rainbows and butterflies and, uh, you know, Georgia Bulldogs fans? Why does it have to be other stuff? Romans 5 says this, therefore just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread, spread to all people because all have sinned. When I, when I show you that verse, I have to tell you a story. It's the story of the original couple, which I firmly believe are two actual people, the first man Adam and the first man Eve. We know when God was doing his creation on the sixth day, he formed man from the dust of the ground. And the Bible tells us that he breathed into him the very breath of life, that Adam's breath was from the very breath of God. And Adam was living in the Garden of Eden. He was living in a brand new creation and he looked out at all the animals and he noticed that everything else in the world had a partner and he did not and he was somewhat lonely and so God looked down and saw that and God performed the first surgery ever performed on a man and he put Adam to sleep and he took out a rib and it was from that rib that he formed woman out of his side flesh of his flesh bone of his bone and Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden now we just say those words Adam Eve garden and All of that represents a utopia as we would say it today. That that verbiage is used in any utopian literature that you see. They'll talk about the Garden of Eden, but it really was a utopia back in that day. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. Creation was perfect. The earth was perfect. There were no thunderstorms. It didn't even need to rain. The earth watered itself. Adam and Eve never got in a fight. They never got in an argument. They never fought with God. They never did disobeyed him. As a matter of fact, we don't even know how long Adam and Eve were alive at the time because God was not marking their passage. Why? Because they were designed to live for eternity. Adam and Eve were going to live for eternity. This creation was made for eternity. Their bodies were made for eternity. And God, just so that they would not be robotic in nature, gave them a free will, and God wanted them to choose a relationship with him above all else. So he put in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, you have one prohibition, don't touch that tree. You know the story. Satan came in, in the form of a servant, serpent, and he he tricked Eve. The Bible says Eve was deceived. She did not willfully do it. She was actually deceived by the serpent. And on that day, she ate of the fruit and disobeyed God. She took the fruit to her husband. Adam was different. Adam was not deceived. When Adam bit that fruit, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. He was going to cast all of humanity into ruin, but he chose his relationship uh, with his wife over his relationship with God, and Adam ate the fruit, and it was in that moment God said that, Adam, when you eat this fruit, it says this in the Bible, you will surely die. And it was in that moment, the most horrific thing that's ever happened on the planet Earth happened. Death was introduced into the world. Did Adam and Eve die immediately? Yes, but not physically. It was at that moment that death was introduced into their bodies and they began to die. They died spiritually. Immediately, and you read the story and see that develop. Not only did was death introduced into their lives in multiple myriad of ways, death was then introduced into the world at large. It was at that moment that death was introduced into all of creation. It was at that moment that death was introduced physically. Death was introduced spiritually. Death was introduced relationally. Death was introduced emotionally. Death was introduced in the creation, in the animal and the plants, you name it, death was born into the world on that day. And all of the suffering that we experience today happened because of what Romans five twelve says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Know this statement uh, for theology, all suffering is a form of death. Death was introduced the day Adam sinned. And all suffering is a form of death. The physical suffering you may go through when you go to a doctor. Is a form of death. The emotional suffering that you experience is a form of death. The mental suffering you experience is a form of death. Relational suffering you experience is a form of death. And it was on that day that death was introduced into the world. And suffering became part of the world. Because when death was introduced introduced into the world suffering came along with it because whatever suffering you may be going through today it's all a form of death that was introduced when adam disobeyed god i saw this the other day t- t- twitter's probably my favorite social media and uh i, I saw this the other day um, and and somebody came across my desk somebody said it was the saddest day in twitter history what what do you mean by that i know you can't read that but let me tell you what it says it was the saddest day in twitter history the saddest day in twitter's 14 year history occurred in the weeks following george floyd's mur- murder according to a new study researchers at the university of vermont analyzed more than a decade of twitter data and found that the two-week period in late may and early june produced the highest number of sad and mournful posts in the company's history so you can see it right here this this bottoming out of this now how did they get there they 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 use something called a hedon meter. It's where we get our word hedonistic from. It measures overall happiness levels online by tracking keywords through 50 million random tweets a day. The previous lows was Michael Jackson's death in 2009, the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013, the Las Vegas shooting in 2017, the global pandemic in March 2020. And after Joy, George Floyd's death, it became the saddest day in Twitter history. That is 14 short years of life. That was the saddest day Twitter'd ever known. why do he tell us that? Because that may have been debatable, the saddest day on, uh, in 14 years, but the saddest day in history is in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam ate the fruit, and sin and suffering was introduced into the whole world. So here's what you need to know this morning. Sin brings suffering sin brings death. And the more the world sins, the more suffering is introduced into the world. The farther away we get from God, the more suffering that's coming. The more of an affront we are to a holy God, the more suffering that's coming. That is true uh, throughout the world. That is through th- through to, throughout our culture, and by the way, that'll be true in your life. Paul said it in Galatians chapter six. He he tried to let us in on this clue. He said, "Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to a flesh, his flesh will reap destruction. Or we might even call it suffering from the flesh." The Lord who sows in the Spirit will reap life eternal, eternal life from the Spirit. Paul was trying to tell us even right there in our own personal lives that this suffering idea is true globally, it's true culturally, it's true personally. That the farther away you get from God, if you are a child of God, the farther away you get from God, the more you disobey God, the more trauma, the more suffering, the more destruction That's going to come to your life. Now look, we can blame a lot on Adam and Eve. We can blame it all on Adam and Eve if we want to. But some of our trouble is from our own sin. You say, preacher, are you saying I'm sick because I sin? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we're all going to be sick because sin is in the world. You saying all of my tra- trauma is from my sin? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just telling you that trauma and suffering is in the world because of sin in general. But make no mistake, you can cause trauma in your own life through your sin. Where did it all begin? We did it to ourselves, and by the way, we do it to ourselves. That leads me to the second question I want to talk about, and that's this: Is, it, is my suffering? Is it the devil, or is it discipline? Is my suffering the devil? Or is it discipline? There's a verse in Hebrews that you have to know about suffering. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Endure suffering as discipline. Can I tell you a couple of stories this morning in the Bible? You remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? If you've not been in church very long or you're watching online, don't know the story. let, Let me tell you the story of Job. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Job who the Bible says was a blameless man, was an upright man. Job went above and beyond in righteousness. He went above and beyond in serving God. And one day in the throne room of heaven, Satan came before God and he was about to accuse the brethren. The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And Satan walked into the throne room of heaven and God said, Hey, before you say anything, have you considered my servant Job? Before you start running my people in the ground, have you seen Job's life? And Satan said, well, of course I've seen Job's life. Of course Job serves you. No, who wouldn't serve you? All the blessings you give him, all the prosperity, the hedge of protection you have around him. Why wouldn't Job serve you? And God said, I believe Job will serve me even without that. And Satan said, let's try it. And so God said, you cannot touch his life or his wife, but do what you want to do. We know the story. He lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. All of it overnight. And throughout all of that, the Bible says Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. Did Job do anything wrong? No. It was not Job's sin that brought that on him. It was Satan himself bringing that suffering into his world so that Job and God's relationship could be strengthened and could be revealed. There was a whole heavenly plan he never knew about going on. But then we can, can we fast forward to the end of the Old Testament? There's a guy named Jonah. Jonah. And God, Jonah was a preacher and God said to Jonah, I want you to go to a city called Nineveh. It's a huge city. I want you to go there and preach repentance because their sin has reached heaven and I want them to repent or I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah, when he heard that word from the Lord, got in a ship and went the opposite direction. And God sent a hurricane, rocked that boat. And Jonah said, boys, they were praying. He said, boys, this is not going to work. I'm running from God. The only way to get the seas to calm down is to throw me overboard. And sure enough, they threw him overboard. Everything went calm for the sailors. They didn't go calm for Job because the Bible says God had prepared a great fish, maybe a whale. Uh, one translation says to come and swallow Job. And he, Job was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights until he got right. What in the world took Jonah three days and three nights to repent? I don't know. 3 seconds in I'm going to be like god whatever I did wrong I'm sorry please I'm claustrophobic get me out of here. Job's was not suffering caused by Satan. Job's was discipline caused by his sin. And we have to separate those two things in our life because sometimes we what we call suffering brought on by the devil is really discipline brought on by God because of the sin in our lives. I'll show this to you quickly. I saw this stat Uh, in December 2022 this year. We outspent our income the largest amount in history. As a matter of fact, here's what they discovered. 28% of those earning less than $50,000 a year said expenses outweighed their income in December. A big jump from 21% last year. 9% of those earning more than $100,000 said the same thing, up from 7% last year. Why do you, why do you tell us that? I'll tell you that this, because sometimes we'll look at our financial issues and we'll, we'll classify it as suffering when really it's just bad financial decisions on our part. And so learn this statement. And you know, I'm I'm plain. I don't want you to have to go home and figure out what I'm saying. I don't want you, if you're watching at home, I don't want you to be like, what's he talking about? So, you know, I, I tend to put things in plain language. And so I just I'm putting it down here where the rubber meets the road. And that's this. Every hurt isn't caused by the devil. Sometimes we just do dumb stuff. Every hurt is not caused by the devil. Sometimes. It's just us being dumb in our lives. Sometimes we think it's a suffering issue when in reality it's a sense issue. It could be the devil or it could be discipline in our lives. And know this, it may be the greatest statement I day, I say today. Sometimes we're looking for rescuing from God when what God is looking for is repentance from us. We won't rescue because we're in the belly of the whale? And God said, well, I'm I'm waiting on repentance before that happens. Not everything that we put in the category of suffering is really suffering, sometimes it's discipline. Number three, we ask this question. Can anything good come from my suffering? with all that I'm going through. We saw it a minute ago in a study. Americans believe that good things can come. Can anything good come from our suffering? Because we know this verse if we're Christians. We know Romans 8, 28. I talked about it Wednesday night in my Bible study. We know that all good things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Many of us can quote that verse, but can I can I walk through that verse and break it down for a little bit? First of all, he said, we know that all things, that's whatever's going on in my life, God can take what is whatever is in my life and he can work it out for his is good, but here's what he says, that he can take all things and he can work them together for the good. And sometimes in our minds, that's where we stop. I've often heard people stop quoting the verse right there and we say well preacher we know this God can work all things out for the good well hold on because he ended the verse with some qualifiers on it that are important for those to know who is he doing it for number one this is written to believers so we know he's writing this to believers so it only applies to believers but not only that it applies to only those who love God Jesus said if you love me keep my commands right this only applies To those who are trying their best, it's not demanding perfection at all, but trying their best to love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind, but it it has another qualifier on it. For those who are called according to his purpose, what does that mean? People who are living in the plan and the will of God, you're operating in the sphere of God, that is when I'm loving Jesus as a believer and living in his plan, and his will, God will take everything in my life and work it out and construct it for his good. One commentator said this, God works all things for good. Not all things work out. Suffering will still bring pain, loss, and sorrow, and sin will bring shame, but under God's control, the eventual outcome can be for our good. God works behind the scenes, ensuring that even in the middle of mistakes and tragedies, good rules up from those who love Him. At times, this will happen quickly, often enough to help us trust the principle or the promise, but there will also be events whose results for good we will not know until eternity. Can good come from it? yes it can. God can take the sufferings of our life when we love him, when we're in his will, when we're following his plan for our lives. God can take all of that suffering in our life and put it together and make it all work out. But here's the deal. We don't know how he does it. And you'll never be able to predict how it's going to come out. Jackson, our oldest grandson, who's almost four, but he's three, was over at our house of the day. Sherry was keeping him, and, and he calls her, all the grandkids call her Didi. Dee Dee. And so uh, I, I was studying, but I heard him kind of screaming out, uh, and he was watching, he was in a room watching uh, like a Disney movie or something, and he, it's one he had not seen before. And, and I heard him, and he was saying this out loud, oh no, Dee, Dee! oh no, Didi!" Dee Dee! And it was when the bad guy was kind of getting the upper hand on the good guy, and it was stressing Jackson out. And he's just standing up in a chair going, oh no, Dee Dee, oh no, Dee Dee, oh no, Dee Dee. And he was absolutely panicked. But Dee Dee came along and he said, Jackson, it's all going to be okay. Why was she able to say that? Because she had seen that thing a thousand times. And she knew that in the end, it was all going to work out for good. But he was in the middle of it. And he couldn't understand it. And hear me, when you're, under, when you're in the middle of your suffering, yes, you're saying, I'm saying, oh no, God, oh no, God, oh no, God, do you see what's going on in my life? Do you see what's happening here? God, are you in a panic like me? And God reaches down from heaven and speaks into our heart, and he's not in a panic at all. Because he knows he can orchestrate life so that good can come from it. Another story in the Old Testament, a guy named a guy named Joseph, and I won't tell you the whole story, but he had eleven brothers, and they were jealous of him, so they were going to kill him, and they dug a pit, put him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery. And Joseph basically went from the pit into prison for years, and before he finally became the ruler in the land of Egypt, the second in command, he went from the pit, from the prison to the palace. There came a day when those brothers, who thought he was dead, came before Pharaoh, and 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 they. Uh, Long story short, they figured out Joseph, their brother, they tried to kill, was in control. And they immediately fell down and they knew Joseph was about to kill them. Why wouldn't he? They tried to kill him. And Joseph, in an amazing bit of insight and wisdom, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 said this. You planned evil against me. But God planned it good Now if you'd ask Joseph when he was in the prison, is anything good going I, no. If you ask Joseph while he was in a pit being sold into slavery, is anything good going to come out of this? No. But what they were planning for evil, God at the same time was Roman eight twenty eight in that thing, and he was orchestrating it so it would all work out for good. Now hear me this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are loving God with your heart, if you're doing your best to stay in the plan of God, whatever suffering you may be going through in your life, hear me, God can eventually bring good from it when we're in the midst of saying oh no God oh no God he knows it's all going to be okay and all he wants is our trust in him so let me the fourth question I want to ask and answer this morning and that's this does Jesus care now I don't want to sell you short today most of us are not worried about global suffering Most of us are not worried. When we see hurricanes, earthquakes, like we do, we are concerned. We donate, we give, we help. Look, I'm not diminishing that at all, but I'm saying the question of suffering is not really a global one. It's a personal one. When we're hurting, all we really care is the answer to this question. Does anyone care? Sometimes we look around The people around us, and sad to say, it's hard to find somebody that understands our sorrow, somebody that understands our grief. And Peter, knowing that, a disciple of Jesus Christ who's gotten himself in so much trouble, Peter, knowing that, said, wrote this verse, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Uh, Let me, let me, just 30 seconds right here. That word casting, you you don't care about this, but it's in the aorist tense in the Greek, which means it's a past action, a definitive past action, which means typically it means it's a it's a one-time action. That when you need to do it, you do it and it it's done. The word casting there in the Greek was the same word that was used to throw a a blanket on a donkey. It was to transfer something. From someone to something else or someone else. That's literally the definition of the word. When I cast it, it's not throw it in the sea. It is to take it out of my possession and put it once and for all into somebody else's possession and that's why peter used that word peter said yes jesus cares for you and here's what you need to do when suffering is in your life and that worry is keeping us up at night and that stress is keeping us us up at night and that anxiety won't give us a moment's peace and the devil has robbed all peace from our life here's what peter said take the the trouble off you and place it on jesus does jesus care peter said yes he does and he's standing there waiting for you to give him your trouble why would he do that he answered the what in the why he said because he cares about you hear me this morning you're not suffering alone jesus cares you're not hurting alone jesus cares You're not in pain alone. Jesus cares. He cares about you. And whatever it is you may be going through, whatever heartache that may be breaking you down, whatever is dominating your prayer life and your worry life, Jesus cares. And here's what he said. Listen, that burden was not meant for you. It was meant for Jesus. And all you have to do take it off you. Hey, Jesus, it's not my problem to worry about. It's yours. It's not my burden to keep me awake at night. It's yours. If anybody's going to stress out over this, it's not me. It's going to be you. I can't do anything about it. I give this to you. Frank Graf was a Methodist preacher in the 1800s. He was actually, he worked for the denomination. He pastored a church. And Frank Graf was known as Mr. Sunshine. It was his nickname. All the kids loved him. He was great working with kids. And he went through a period in his life where Mr. Sunshine, some tragedy happened in his life, some suffering. And he absolutely was overwhelmed by suffering and depression. Here's Mr. Sunshine where nothing ever goes wrong, it seems, for him. And in the midst of that, Mr. Sunshine was hurting worse than he ever had in his life. And it was in the midst of that suffering that he asked this question, does Jesus care? And he wrote a hymn and he answered it. Listen to this.
1: Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mercy? And song, when the burdens press, and the cares distress, and the way grows weary and long. Oh, yes, He cares. I Heart is touched with To the dearest on earth, to me. When my sad heart ain't still, it nearly breaks. Oh, is it anything, anything to him? Does he see? yeah
2: Stand with me with your heads bowed, your eyes closed across the room. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And the truth is, when when tough things happen in our life, um, our first question is often, why? Why are these things happening to me? And Pastor Joel did a great job of explaining uh, that to us this morning. And the truth is, you will never understand the why when bad things happen to you without a relationship with Jesus, without you understanding that bad things happen because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And the worst thing that happened because of what Adam and Eve did is the separation that happened between you and God. You've got to understand that you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to fix that separation. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was buried dead in a tomb, and on the third day, He rose again, paying the penalty for your sin. You've got to believe that. And then thirdly, you've got to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10 says, we believe in our hearts, but we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. If God spoke into your heart this morning and you need to give your heart life to Him, God this Lord I know that I'm a sinner I understand that my sin separates me from you I believe that Jesus died on the cross that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day conquering sin death and hell for me right now through the power of your Holy Spirit I ask you to come into my heart take away my sin be my Savior Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time and you meant it, I want to say welcome to the family. There's no better decision you'll ever make than the one you made just now. But we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. We want to connect with you. We've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ click on that. Give us just a little information about you and we'll be in contact this week. We want to send you some information in the mail and help you take next steps. What a fantastic time of worship we've had together this morning. I look forward to each week worshiping with you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.